one. And we are recording the one and only Miss Claire Lopez. And the tables have turned. Finally, after being late for 30 straight episodes, <laughs> Claire was the one who was late. To, and I was actually yes, late. I was. I, was, I was five minutes late. And it was going to be number 31 that I was late. But I showed up and Claire wasn't here. It's like, my, 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 how the tables have turned. Here so, we go. You're uh you're 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 thirty and one and I'm uh I'm one for thirty, so I don't know. I'll take it. <laughs> it all I, works out. It does. Miss Claire Lopez, episode nine forty one, Thursday, October sixth, twenty twenty two at three sixteen PM Eastern time. And I know we were playing text tag and you weren't gonna be able to come on towards the end of the month, but I wanted to get you on not not only because I love talking to you, but because of all times, I was like, I need to have you on to talk about Nord Stream two and your mm. thoughts on that. Um but for all the new listeners, real quick, please introduce yourself. And for everybody listening, as always, your your writings, your articles, your Twitter, I put all that good stuff in the description. Please go follow Claire if uh, you'd rather have the unfiltered intelligence coming from her rather than through the obscured and uh, rather informal lens of my own mouth and mind. But Miss Lopez, introduce yourself, please. Oh, well, thank you, Tommy. Glad to be with you, uh, even if a tad late today. Um, but yeah, uh, I am founder and president of Lopez Liberty LLC. My focus is and has been for many years, um, U.S. national security, uh, both domestic and, and international. And so I do focus on uh, things, uh, crisis points uh, abroad, uh, you name it, uh, Russia and Ukraine, China and Taiwan, obviously the uprising in Iran uh, these days, and um, certainly right here at home with uh, the Islamic movement and uh, the threats from communism and Marxism. Um, so to kind of to pick your mind about it, because I know very little about it. So I didn't I, I let me preface this by saying just how little I knew about it. I didn't even know that there wasn't anything flowing through Nord Stream 2. That's oh, right, how, right. I didn't even know that. So let's just I just want to put that out there for whoever's going to listen to the next 40 minutes about me rambling. I didn't even know that until last night. So let me just put that out there as a disclaimer. Um, I've seen some articles that say that, that there was like four pipes and only two of them uh, have been damaged or destroyed. And now that, again, this is all unverified. So please excuse my spreading of misinformation, I suppose. But um, also the, I guess the managers or the maintenance people of whatever the equivalence is of an, of, of an underwater pipe they're not even being allowed to inspect it. So what what do you know about all of this? What is going on? What is the most rational reasoning and so on and so forth? Okay, so uh, there are two pipelines uh, for natural gas that run from Russia underneath the North Sea with terminals in Northern Germany. One of those, Nord Stream 1, uh, was uh, operational but at this point in time, uh, nothing was flowing through it. There was enough natural gas in it to keep pressure, but it was not flowing as product from Russia to Germany. The second pipeline is called Nord Stream 2, and it parallels the same underwater route as Nord Stream 1. It also is for natural gas. And during the Trump administration, um, uh, the, the United States... Uh, put sanctions or uh, held up um, the completion of that second Nord Stream 2 pipeline. 
Um, and you might recall seeing clips of President Trump at the United Nations. I forget which year it was, 2017, 2018, I maybe. Think 2018, the 2018, clip. okay. And uh, he's speaking from the podium and he's <laughs> warning the Germans directly that, uh, you know, if, if they allow themselves to become uh, dependent on uh, Russia completely for their energy needs in a cold Northern European country, uh, they, they risk um, the, um, the possibility at that time uh, of being pressured in one way or another by Russia to do something policy-wise, to not do something policy-wise. And of course, then the camera cuts to the German delegation um, sitting in the room in the, in the UN hall, and, and they're all laughing like idiots. And uh, of course, they're not laughing anymore uh, because what happened when the Joe Biden administration uh, came into the White House in uh, the United States uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, 2021, um, he, uh, President Biden, um, expedited the completion of Nord Stream 2, removed any kind of blocks or, or halts to, to its completion. So it was completed. Um, however, uh, Germany too has a whack job, far out uh, greenie movement. And they were for a long time protesting, I guess, both of the pipelines. Uh, they didn't want Germany to have natural gas as a, an energy source from Russia or any other place. They didn't want them to have uh, nuclear power. And so Germany's nuclear power plants were shut down. Um, and, and so the um, actual bringing of Nord Stream 2 online was postponed and postponed and postponed regulations and this and that. Um, to the point that uh, even as, as, as we speak today, which is early October in 2022, um, natural gas had not flown through, flowed, had not flowed through uh, Nord Stream 2. Uh, but it too had, I guess, enough in the pipeline it's necessary to maintain pressure um, for uh, technological reasons. Yeah, well, yeah. so, um, uh, what happened then uh, is, uh, of course, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and sanctions and all of that. And, uh, and uh, the, the pipelines are still not online. They're not flowing. Um, meanwhile, um, Germany is not laughing so much anymore. They're cutting down trees. Yeah. Uh, and they are, I guess, firing up some older coal plants in Germany. Um, yeah. This is the mentality. Uh, one can only wonder. Um, but what happened then, uh, what was it, a week, 10 days ago? I forget exactly when. Early October, I think it was. Um, something happened to both the Nord Stream 1 and the Nord Stream 2 pipelines. There are two of them. And um, something, uh, uh, they're laying on the, on the ocean or the, the, the sea floor, or the seabed floor, um, something happened um, that uh, blew holes uh, in both of them. I understand maybe a couple of holes in one, maybe maybe one or two or maybe three in another. Um, and then, of course, we've all seen those photos of the gas bubbles rising mm -hmm. to the surface of the water uh, as natural gas uh, escapes out of those uh, holes in, in these pipelines. Um, now, over uh, the period of time before uh, whatever happened happened, 
there were many different um, uh, navies, naval forces, surface vessels, as well as submersible vessels uh, in that area. I mean, of course, uh, if you think about the map, it's quite a big area. It, it, it runs from Russia under the North Sea to Germany. It's, it's quite a large area. It bypasses uh, the Scandinavian countries, of course, of Finland and Sweden and Norway, uh, north of Denmark. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, the, the suspicion begins to, um, to uh, point towards, well, maybe it's some of those naval forces. Some of them were Russian, some of them were German, some of them were European, some of them, all kinds of different naval vessels. Um, and then I read a column by Shoshana Bryan, who is a, a very astute observer, very well-informed. Um, and uh, she was writing at the Jewish Policy Center just a few days ago. And she proposed uh, the idea that there are a lot of unexploded munitions on the floor of that, of that water in the mm. North Sea some dating as far back as World War II. And every now and then, when naval exercises disturb some of them, they, go they up. blow up. To this day, that well, happens. That still happens in- um, It still happens. In Germ I think Germany and France from World War I. Well, and on land as well. Yeah. But we're talking here about under the water. And so she, Shoshana Bryan, in her column at the Jewish Policy Center proposed this simply as throw this in the mix and we should probably think about this. Um, meanwhile, of course, uh, the mudslinging has, has commenced on all sides, of course. everybody blaming somebody else. And um, I guess I'll finish by saying the truth is nobody knows. Nobody has any idea what happened to the pipelines exactly, but I did read somewhere in the last day or two that crews had been diving, crews had mm -hmm. been down uh, to the pipeline uh, pipelines both and um uh, assessed that they could be repaired uh, rather rather easily uh, or at least if not easily relatively quickly um so uh that that may be um a bit of welcome news um the pipelines are not destroyed uh they're they're very much still there there's just a few holes in them that's all and so uh, we ha we'll have to see and await some more information before we come to any conclusions. Again, my own uh, <clears throat> ignorance on the topic is, you know, as of 48 hours ago, I thought, A, that they were full of natural gas and B, that they had been utterly demolished. Mm -hmm. And I am, as of last night, learning that they were uh, not full. And as of 30 seconds ago, realizing that they were not fully destroyed. So again, Anybody listening to this and uh, beating your head against the wall because I don't know what I'm talking about, that's warranted. Um, so could we at the very least, could we put on our like COVID thinking caps and it comes down to we can it's mudslinging and who did this and who did that. But really, you can you can break it into two things. And it's um, was it lab made or was it natural? And then if it was lab made, was it intentional or unintentional? And then if it was intentional or unintentional, who was it? I had on Ken Albeck two weeks ago with uh, Dr. McCullough, and uh, they both said unequivocally that it's lab made, but they also both said they didn't think it was intentional, which is, is fascinating. I mean, Dr. Albeck. Do they mean that the, the uh, development, the creation of the SARS-CoV-2 
was not deliberate or did no, they no, mean the, the release the release they both said not it. necessarily deliberate okay it's actually kind of funny because dr alabeck i mean the premier bioweapons expert on the planet i thought he was about to go into some you know brilliant explanation about why it was lab made but he just goes i mean what are the odds that coronavirus comes out of wuhan with Wuhan well, I mean, lab, <laughs> that was kind of funny. When 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 you look at the genomic sequence, uh, it it it's a very reasonable conclusion to reach. Oh, it's um, absurd. Yeah, that the SARS-CoV-2 was genetically manipulated. Specifically, um, there is a yeah. genomic sequence inserted um, at the S1 S2 junction um, of uh, the receptor binding domain on the surface of the, pro- the, the the spike protein. Um, and there is no way on earth that that particular genomic sequence um, called a furin cleavage, cleavage site, site. Yeah. possibly could have gotten there in any natural way. Yeah. Uh, that alone points to um, a lab origin for the development uh, of the SARS-CoV-2. Um, and then, of course, we know that that the People's Republic of China, the PRC, has warfare, yeah. an extensive uh, biological warfare program, uh, yeah. which uh, is under the um, direction of, of combined what they call military civilian fusion. Uh, that means the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, working together with any number of ostensibly um, civilian labs, completely um intermeshed uh, intertwined um you know uh sharing uh, all, all information but here's something else and i've always got this one right close by you know, we look at uh, mm-hmm. this 1999 military manual from the people's liberation army and it very specifically among many other things um, names biochemical warfare as uh part of its arsenal if you will so mm-hmm. all those things taken together i i think there's no doubt this um sars cov2 was um genetically manipulated probably using techniques like ai and crispr in a laboratory i think probably a military laboratory or laboratories plural working on it uh, you know in different parts and phases and then um maybe towards uh, the end or not even the end. The, the timeline keeps backing up. To November so and then maybe October. Mid, yeah. mid 2019 or early 2019. Um, some part of that program got moved to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where in one of its many, many labs, uh, the key lab that is headed up by Xi Jingli, the so-called bat lady, uh, was working on it for whatever purposes, maybe vaccine development, we don't know. But we do know uh, that Xu Jingli and um, her colleagues at that key laboratory inside of um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, received uh, grants, mm-hmm. funding from the United States government uh, that would be congressionally appropriated to the department, um, con- uh, the, the, the cabinet department of health and human services from whence to the National Institutes of Health, from whence to the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease run by uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And from there to other places through grants on down, this is quite a chain, right? Yeah. Um, uh, To EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak's Mm -hmm. operation, NGO, um, uh, located headquartered in New York. And from there, 
further dispersed uh, at least some of the money to uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Other funding uh, from NIAID went to uh, Dr. Ralph Barrick um, at uh, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill campus and other funding uh, from NIAID went to the Galveston National Laboratory, which also had a close direct ties with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And, it's um, a complex, a complicated uh, web we weave here. And shout out to investigative journalist George Webb, who was talking about all of this two years when he first came on here and started talking about it. I was like, the hell are you talking about, dude? And now I'm starting to see it become the, the mainstream story. And so shout out George Webb. Um, but so whereas Dr. Alabek said that it uh, probably wasn't intentional and he and it, I guess it it's takes development, it's creation. It's creation in, intentional. Yes. But not 100%. necessarily the release. And it takes a lot of uh, arrogance and ego on my on my own mind to, uh, on one hand, tout Dr. Alabek as the premier bioweapons uh, expert and say he said it's intentional therefore the development is was intentional and then on the in the same breath disagree with him i tend to look at it again as a 32 year old with a very limited knowledge of this world i tend to look at it as he's maybe looking at his own past where it was more doomsday they weren't messing around with covid they're putting ebola and smallpox on icbms you know it's kind of that in the same way, we're not at, you know, warfare today is, yeah, it's fifth generation. Through well, we might media. not be, but China sure is. Sure. And so, so is Russia, by the way, to this day. Sure. As well as other places like North Korea, like Damascus. Sure. Like Iran. Sure. Uh, Do- Dr. Which Mc- all work together, by the way. Oh, yeah. Whereas Dr. McCullough was a little more, um, he didn't quite say it, but he was a little more open to the idea of it being a, a form of soft power. You do disrupt the economy of the united that is a form of fifth generational warfare if trump is posing an existential threat to china you maybe disrupt the whole world the point of that whole side rant though is at the very least you can start to go into these just kind of primary blocks of like what is happening there was covid was it lab made or not was it released intentionally or not so with Nord Stream, i try to look at like okay we're right now we're in that sort of like December 2019 COVID like what the hell's going on so I'm trying to look at it intentional or not and then reasoning purely conjecture of who honestly I mean we 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 can cut right to the chase and say we do not know yeah we simply do not oh yeah no no not at all oh no perhaps at some point we will and perhaps we won't but at this point in time all we can say honestly is we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think we have a lot more to go on uh, with the SARS-CoV-2. Okay. Uh, than than uh, maybe with more time uh, having having passed since it emerged. Sure. You Let's know, go than, back to it. Than with, with the pipelines. Sure. Um, but, you know, Ken Alibek, um, you, you, you probably have, you have talked a lot about, about his background, but... Um, you know, he he knows of what he speaks. He he, he oh, yeah. was, uh, you know, deputy the, director uh, the deputy of bioprepparat, bio-preparat uh, mm-hmm. in the then Soviet Union. Well, and later after Russia, um, when they uh, promised, of course, that they had completely they weren't doing it. Yeah, um, shut down their offensive biological weapons research. By the way, there's a very big difference between an offensive program Indeed. and a defensive program, but it is a fine line. 
-hmm. And that fine line treads the line of intent. What is your intent? And you can find um, that wording at uh, the Biological Weapons Convention, which is very clearly and simply written uh, online, Biological Weapons Convention, um, and and the definition of um, uh, offensive biological weapons program is the intent Mm -hmm. to cause harm, death uh, to humans, whether in wartime or not. And the definition of defensive uh, is that you are developing, you are working on uh, these, uh, these BW agents, and they're the same ones, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, you know, it's always the same ones, you know, anthrax, uh, Ebola, um, plague, smallpox, West Nile virus. Um, you, you have to work on the very same ones for defensive purposes. That would be well, to come up with prophylactics and therapeutics, yeah. including a vaccine, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so, but the dividing line is intent, and uh, of course, when when Ken Alibek, uh, Kenyatin Alibekov was was his name actually in in uh, in in uh, Russia back then, he um, he was very much working on an offensive program, and some of it, you know, he recounted. I'm sure he showed you his book called Biohazard. Oh yeah, that was the first. That which was, was uh, four fifty one. What the early 1990s, sometime or other. Yeah. And. Um, he he was pretty open about what what oh, he had yeah. been doing, what what oh, the yeah. Russian program was, oh, and yeah. it was definitely offensive. But you know, going back to China, um, I will say that they're even more open. Uh, the Soviets and then the Russians um, tried very hard to hide their programs, to to disguise what they were doing, to keep it from uh, the knowledge of the rest of the world. But China's perfectly open about it. Um, I don't know if you've ever had on your show, um, a very astute analyst named um, Jeff Nyquist, N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T. I was on a phone call with him about two hours ago. Okay, well. coming on Saturday. Awesome. That is perfect because uh, Jeff is a good friend of many years. He uh, wrote in his blog site online, which you can find at Jeff Nyquist blog site. He wrote there in September of 20... 19, if I'm not mistaken. So it's almost, well, it is, it's uh, three years ago. And he wrote there and um, uh, uh, posted uh, the secret speech of Chi Haoxian. Chi Haoxian was uh, in the early 2000s, two, three, four, something like that, the defense minister of the People's Republic of China. Uh, He died not so long after that, I'm not sure exactly which year, he might have died in about 2005 or something like that. But um, the secret speech, which was secret in the beginning, but eventually leaked out and Jeff uh, posted it in in the English translation, of course. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because it spoke very openly of the CCP's, uh, PLA's um, uh, intention uh, to develop and to deploy and use offensive biological weapons against America. Uh, and what he called it, he, Chi Xiaoxian, in his speech, he called it, um, uh, they, they, they needed to clean up America um, so that, I guess, Chinese could then occupy the land here in North America. Now, um, at that point, they might not have had all the population demographic projections that we do today. But of course, now we know that China's population is going off a cliff, thanks to decades of a one-child policy. 
uh, and something like 30 to 40 million young men without wives, girlfriends. Uh, they're called bare branches because yeah. they're never going to have children. So at this point in time, we know the Chinese uh, China's population is, is, is going to drop precipitously towards the end of this century. But back then, they may not have. But the honesty, that's what I'm getting at, the openness of, of talking about the defense minister of China, talking about using biological weapons offensively to clean up America, I think is striking. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's never I, I just finished a book called uh, KL by Nicholas Foshman. So I think it's the longest audiobook I ever listened to. It was like 35 hours, but it was the, it was, <clears throat> it's the development of the concentration camp systems from 1933 through 1945. Nothing to do with the war. They're oh, not you talking. mean the Japanese? No, 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 no. In German. In oh, Germany. in Germany. Well, the yeah. Japanese had them in, in China too, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, no. Right. The, you mean Germany. Okay. Yeah. It's not about the war. It's not about, it's, 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 it's actually very fascinating because it's purely on these and the development of the psychology book whole point of it is man when you learn about those or you learn about like yeah unit 731 yeah and then the ones in manchuria under Mm -hmm. shiro ishii when you learn about any of these man there is one common theme with all of them and it starts before anything else and it's always about cleaning and it is so when i hear clean up uh, it's just the just defcon one siren Mm -hmm. start Mm -hmm. no 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 Otto Ambrose, the German chemist, always talked about cleaning. There's like well, a... I mean that that's a key it's a key a distinguishing feature of, yeah. of fascism, Nazism, which is not part of communism. It's one of the distinguishing factors that you can tell them apart. Mm-hmm. And it's but with the concentration camp similarity is always cleaning. And yeah. It, yeah. that is a racist um eugenics um messianic racial purification yeah kind of thinking yeah yeah it's just it's disgusting um yeah to to kind of because we're on this thread um uh i kind of want to pick your brain on and there's very little i do know about it um about our own biological weapons program and i want to say it was under nixon he stopped it Okay. It was under Richard, President Richard Nixon in 1972 that the United States completely shut down and, and destroyed. our offensive biological weapons program. Now, of course, the defensive part remains to this yeah. day, naturally so, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, I guess, an analogy for the, you know, for anyone that maybe doesn't understand the, the offensive and defenses, it's like, um, let's say Claire and I are developing bulletproof vests. You may think, well, you guys are developing armor-piercing bullets. Well, you kind of have to use them if you want to develop bulletproof vests. You, you need to. Now, are you going to continue to develop, you know, depleted uranium-tipped munitions? Well, if you want to have the best armor, you do have to test with that. That doesn't necessarily mean you're. So it, there is a fine line. Well, but, there are there are also some really fine lines that need to be drawn currently with regard to what's called the gain of function research research yes well, uh, that, perfect. that senator Rand paul has been grilling dr anthony fauci on for for a, some time and hopefully will be doing so again in the near future so with that though and this is i guess sort of my own i have to step down from my own idyllic cloud of optimism and what the world should be and i always think back to the meeting uh 
between I think it was Enrico Fermi, Oppenheimer, and Truman, and mm. it was at the outset of uh, can we develop a hydrogen bomb, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it would be a thousand times stronger. And they were all saying, and there's already like the great resentment amongst a lot of the scientists after world after the dropping of the the A bomb, and Truman would always mm-hmm. throw him out of his office and say kind of in no certain words don't don't let them back in my office i have blood on my hands i know what i did and truman was he openly talked about it. he said these are not weapons of war these these kill women and children but he still did it so i think he knows above anyone else their true power so when presented with the hydrogen bomb a thousand times stronger which again he knew better than anyone what it was like and all the scientists were saying this is evil this is a thousand times well, stronger. I mean, how much more evil than firebombing Dresden? Exactly. How much more evil than invading uh, the, exactly. the Japanese homeland, uh, you know, central islands? Oh, I'm with you. To, to a death toll of who may, how, how many millions, maybe. And that, and that was kind of, and that's it's kind always. Of- that's kind of what ahead. Truman would say is he wrote in his, in no uncertain words. I think I'm being a little like cleaner when he would basically get those fu- get those fucking bitches out of here he said something's very along, along the lines of oppenheimer is like a a bitch get him out of here like mm-hmm. i know what it is i know it's evil i know but it's a lesser evil that being said to kind of set up the gravity of this whole thing the meeting i believe only lasted seven minutes and they and so truman finally asked he said can the soviets do it and they said within a couple of years mm-hmm. and he said something along the lines of well if our unwillingness to pursue this does not in any way hinder the Soviets' ability and uh, willingness to pursue it. So we have to pursue it. We have to get this thing. It's better that we have it and don't use it. I always kind of go back specifically with bioweapons. I always have to go back in my own like kind of logic. And I'm still wrestling with it, and I have been since I first learned about Nixon destroying it, the offensive capabilities. Is it better to have them and not use them than, and no, I understand the defense no, of these, these are not things that we need or that civilized societies uh, should have or need to have. No. Um, obviously, biological weapons have been used for centuries. Um, you know, remember uh, what was it, the Ottoman Turks, you know, lobbing plague ridden bodies, yeah, of, or bodies of smallpox victims mm-hmm. over, over the walls of cities they were trying to capture um you know this has been going on for centuries but um it it, chemical and biological weapons um have uh been uh determined uh as a normative issue for modern society to be too heinous uh to develop or to possess uh that has been a um a consensus, a consensus norm, if you will, among civilized society uh, from certainly the 1970s um, uh, onward. That doesn't mean that there are not rogue regimes out there uh, still very much developing. They are. Um, But of the civilized world, what we would consider the civilized world, um, these weapons have been determined um, just too heinous uh, to to develop, uh, to possess, or to use. And that's why we have the Biological Weapons Convention and the Chemical Weapons Convention, although uh, they are observed in the breach all too often. Yeah. But, but those are norms that we're trying to establish and to keep. 
as a civilized society. That's the difference. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, and then I, but I always, and maybe this is why I'm not in a, a space of power is I, I look at, you know, Dr. Alabeck, and I guess this is a flaw in my own logic because Dr. Alabeck talked about the reasoning why they kept doing it was they were told that the Americans were still doing it in secret too. And obviously we weren't when he started to realize that we weren't and he realized he, he was came over Jewish. on a visit and saw yeah, for himself. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and they were, you know, everything literally being destroyed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And he was methodically uh, being destroyed inside of our yeah. various. Um, and he was embarrassed. Know, laboratories. And so one forth. time they were in Arkansas, I think. And they mm-hmm. saw something and one of the guys was like, what's in that tower? And they ran over to it and took pictures and they were like, they thought they were going to catch the Americans. And he was like, it was a water tower. <laughs> and like, so, but oh, so, dear. so, so he is, you can kind of see where he was in the mindset of they're lying. They're pursuing it. Probably you, I would imagine probably drawing on the same hydrogen bomb uh, explanation that I was using. And then he realized we weren't and that they were doing the wrong thing. Well, I mean, remember, he, he was coming from a very closed society. Yes. You know, that he was allowed to come on this visit in the first place was to absurd. the United States was pretty remarkable. It was he. But that that was... visit completely turned his thinking around because he saw with his own eyes that we were genuinely truthful you... about destroying uh, what we had had before. And you... that led eventually to his defection. Do you know when he was here? He was uh, meeting with, you know, a lot of like private, I guess, biotechnology engineers. And because Dr. Alabek was like in the like the highest rung of Soviet society. Yes, That's why he was allowed here. Yes. Um, and he was earning the equivalent of, I think, like $40,000 a year. And uh, that was top tier. Unheard of. Uh, if oh, I mean, we sure. don't maybe think of it that way today. But in the Soviet Union, in mm-hmm. Russia after 1991 unheard of yeah. luxury i mean uh, oh yeah put him oh in, yeah you know the millionaire rank uh, oh yeah and he us. came he, he came here and when he was on the tour he asked just some random biotech worker and he was like how much do you make and it was like an entrance level kid and he was like i don't know like one hundred and ten thousand a year and i guess that's what he he first asked half kiddingly he goes would i ever have a job if i was here and he said that was like the first thread that actually started to build the foundation mm. for I'm defecting. Well, I, I, I have to think that, you know, driving up and down American highways and streets and seeing well, that was the know, other thing. cars all over the place, uh, single family homes with Su- nice yards supermarkets. all over the place. They didn't have this. They didn't mm. have anything like this, even for the elites like him. Yeah. Nothing like this in the Soviet Union. Yeah. He said that he said seeing like the common American just walking mm-hmm. into a grocery store and walking out with bananas and chicken and milk. He was just like, what are you? But I guess the line then comes then. You can't stick your head in the sand and not research this stuff. You do have to research it defensively. Right. Because if mm-hmm. we just go, it's evil, yeah. it's evil. Well, we're lining our we're, we're pulling our pants down, putting our head in the sand. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. You can't, you can't do. No, but I mean, if you ever want a prophylactic therapeutic, have to... or any of these things, you have to work with them first to find yeah. out what works. Now, in that category of working with them, uh, I'm with Rand Paul. I don't think gain of function has any any role to play there at all. Unless you're developing that is purely that's uh, offensive in my mind, and I'm not a scientist, but or medical or anything else uh, in that realm, but. That is offensive work. And yeah. uh, gain of function could be anything, 
I mean, it could be trying to see if the virus, let's say, can survive in sunlight or in uh, humidity or uh, for long periods of cold weather. That's gain of function too, but that's not what they were doing with the SARS-CoV-2. They were trying to uh, uh, give it with uh, artificial uh, genetic manipulation uh, capabilities that uh, not only would never occur naturally in nature, but uh, also would be uh, extremely contagious and infectious for human beings. Yeah. And, and perhaps more deadly as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I guess that is the sort of, um, it's that fine line that all the presidents have had to walk of, you know, how do you, how do you keep a Republic? How do you balance between being the good guys? And it's, yeah. I mean, I would imagine the temptation is there to develop supervision, which is sorely lacking right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, here, here's something that I, I'm sure some of our congressional members are thinking of. Dr. Rand Paul comes to mind. But going forward um, in a future Congress, perhaps changing hands this fall, I think, and I think others think the same thing, that uh, this incestuous financial, financially motivating bond between Big Pharma meaning Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and our public health institutions and the people who work in them as government employees, uh, meaning the CDC, uh, the FDA, um, the NIH, and so forth, that, that bond has to be broken by law. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to work in the public health sector for the United States government on a taxpayer-funded salary, you do not you do not, must not, um, be in a relationship with uh, drug companies um, that want you to approve their product for not just maybe sale, but forcible imposition on the American people for profit, for yourself. We're looking at the many millions of dollars um, that uh, the Fauci family uh, has made um, in the last two years. I mean, millions and millions of dollars. And where'd that come from? A lot of it came from these drug companies that benefited directly and financially, massively financially from um, recommendations coming out of CDC, NIH, NIAID, and so forth, Fauci in particular, uh, you know, Dr. Doctors Birch, uh, Burks, um, uh, you know, uh, Walensky, um, uh, Francis Collins, and so forth, recommendations that they turned into policy by pushing them through a Trump White House that did not know what they were doing and refused to listen to doctors uh, like Dr. Scott Atlas, like Dr. Peter McCullough, um, like, uh, you know, Dr. Robert Malone and, and, and the rest. Um, refused to listen to them, push through these policies, and then those who were pushing them became massively wealthy. That's got to stop. Yeah, the revolving door. It, uh, not even revolving door. While you're in While office, you're in it, yeah. Not while even, you're yeah. in your position as an official or a, yeah. you know, a medical uh, personnel person, um, you know, in our public health sector, and you're earning money 
from the drug companies uh, when you push their drugs, their uh, unproven genetic therapy treatments on an American public uh, that is not informed about what, what they are, what, what the lack of clinical trials were, all of that, that's got to stop. And I think that's what Dr. Rand Paul and some others, Dr. Uh, Dr. Um, Senator Ron Johnson and, and, and others, I think that's what they have in mind uh, come a turn, uh, a turnover uh, in Congress. It's kind of absurd. Is I hate YouTube and everything it stands for, and even they have like a better, like moral fiber when it comes to when when you would upload, you had to uh, you had to agree, you had to you had to officially agree or unagree, and like you know at 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 uh, at um what word am I looking for? Your account could be deleted if you lied. Informed consent is that what you mean? something along the lines of at, at the risk of having your account deleted if you're lying you had to actually say because maybe you weren't sponsored if you didn't have an ad at the beginning of your uh, podcast but if you were using something by someone that was paying you even if you're just doing like product placement, oh, I see. Yeah. you had you had to acknowledge disclosure that. full Discl- disclosure there you go That's um a little yeah, foggy yeah. today um you had to do that mm-hmm. even if you had a thousand subscribers and were just a little channel on the side even youtube who I hate and who are a bunch of dirty communists, even they were like, you have to just, you know, am I sponsored by, uh, am I sponsored by great value drinking water? And no, but you know, what? okay, well, you're using it. You are, are you sponsored by Shore Microphones? What about Sony? What about Apple? You had to disclose that. Mm-hmm. And, but not even in the government. Yeah, you're right. Revolving door. That's, that's, that's being too generous. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the old that's later on. That, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's after the fact. And what we're talking about is what's going on right now. It's straight up corruption. While these individuals are taxpayer salary paid um, uh, officials, um, scientists, researchers uh, in our public health sector. Yeah. And their decisions uh, affect, you know, 330, 335, 40, whatever it is, million Americans. Um at a time when they are receiving gazillions of dollars from the drug companies that are pushing these pr- very products that they are now promoting Absurd. and causing to be really, I mean, even imposed on yeah. an unsuspecting, uninformed, no informed consent American public. It's absurd. It's um, wrong. It's wrong. That's what it is. It's not just absurd. It's wrong. It's criminal. Um, well, I don't really want to jump into another topic because we gotta we gotta wrap it up in a minute anyway. So uh, I'm saying, um, yeah. no, I, I want to talk about Putin's mm. uh, uh, Armageddon torpedo. Uh, what, what is it? Super, not Super Six. It's um, I uh, yeah, the, this this hundred megaton enormous torpedo. yeah uh, submarine that carries this enormous torpedo. Um, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well. Well, hopefully nothing happens. I, I don't mm. want to be right. I don't want to be right about that. Uh, hopefully, uh, I can, I I do have hope, despite everything being dark. I do have hope, especially when reading Biohazard by Ken Alabeck, and they're talking about <laughs> putting in vials of Ebola into the nose cones of SS eighteen ICBMs, and talking about it casually at lunch, like you talk about your kids, and that never came to pass. So. Well, but you know, you know, real quick, what what did come to pass and what some of what he wrote about in that book um, has been developed more recently now is what they call a chimera, uh-huh. a hybrid of, of two different things. They, according to Biohazard, I'm looking at my bookcase because it's right over there. 
um, they were trying to combine Ebola and smallpox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Horrific. They never succeeded, but they were trying to create a chimera of those two. But what happens now, uh, there are papers, um, scientific papers dating to late 2015, funded by the NIAID, with Xu Jing Li as one of the authors, and they openly speak about creating a chimera of this deadly virus. It's, uh, yeah. I'm going to remain optimistic. Okay, we'll try. We'll try. Well, we got Ken on our side now, so. We certainly do. You know, all right. If push comes to shove, we got the master. With that, Miss Claire Lopez, safe trip, and I will see you. you whenever we get together next. Okay, thanks, Tommy. Thank you so much. God bless. Stay